Happy Easter. Happy Easter. He is risen. He's risen indeed. You missed it. Let's try it again. He is risen. All right. That's the classical way to do that. Anyway, if you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Derek. Uh, some people call me the pastor of disaster, PD, P. Diddy. Now I'm a grandfather and I've named myself Big Poppy. You know, when you're a father, you name your kids. When you're a grandfather, you name yourself until the kid names you. Right? Because it all changed because they, they don't know how to say Poppy. They could call me Pee Pee. Who knows? I mean, it could, it could go bad. <laughs> Delete that. Okay. All right. Anyway, so glad you're with us on Easter. Can we uh, welcome all our online and cable viewers and, and, and the Framingham campus and all those people out there? <laughs> Amen. Hey, we're in a series, um, and we've been doing it based on a book that I read entitled The Problem of God, Answering Skeptics' Challenges to Christianity. And so we've been digging into um, kind of the skeptic mindset. I don't think it's, I don't think it's bad to be skeptical. I just think we need to learn to lean into our skepticism, sometimes doubt our doubts. We all have doubts. We all have skepticism, but we need to, we need to go deeper than that, past the sheets on that, and look inside to see really what the realities are, the truth is. And so this particular author, Mark Clark, was an atheist, and, and in his pursuit of truth, he found that truth represented or embodied in Jesus Christ, he became a follower of Christ, ultimately became a pastor. Now he pastors a megachurch in Vancouver, Canada, the largest church in Canada. It's about five, 6,000 people, which is mega for Canada, uh, which is a very irreligious uh, kind of community. And he identified in his kind of pursuit and then put it and kind of collated it within this book, 10 problems that people have with God, kind of top 10. Are those the only problems people have with God? No, but they were like these classical issues that people have with God. And so we've been kind of unpacking uh, some of those over the last few weeks. We're actually in the fifth installment of this series here this morning. So let me kind of rewind wicka, 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 and help you guys kind of know where we were and kind of where we're going a little bit. In week one, we talked about the problem of God's existence. Now, why do we do this, first of all? If we can deal with our problems with God, it can help us with the problems we have with ourselves, problems we have in life, problems we have in circumstances. Because for some people, it should be for Christians, God is the solution to our problems. And, and so if we can get these obstacles out of the way, we can, we, can, we, can, we can invite him into some of our situations and help us through those. So... Let's deal with these problems. The first one we dealt with was the problem of God's existence. How do we even know he's real? We unpacked that. Kind of a evidential question. We dealt with kind of the moral argument. We dealt with the cosmic argument. We dealt with things like, you know, creation versus intelligent design. And it was pretty, it was pretty like, whoo, you know what I mean? Like, I even felt smart that day. I mean, and then the second week we dealt with um, less evidential question, a more moral question, which an obstacle people have is, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? If God is creator, I'm the created, why is he so cruel? Why does he allow this or that to happen? How many know that's a real question people have? It's an obstacle, you know, and, and sometimes it keeps people from coming into relationship with God. The third week we dealt with um, my favorite of the, the series, uh, other than today's message that I'm going to bring to you, and it was the problem of hypocrisy. In other words, people's problem isn't God, it's people representing God. My problem's not God. I love God. God's great, you know, and me and God are good. Me and God are homies. That's kind of the mentality that's sometimes out there. But man, 
My problem is Christians. What a tragedy, by the way. And so we dealt with Jesus' message about hypocrisy. And we can see very clearly in the scriptures, he hates it, hates hypocrisy. And so he tried to apply that lesson to what the Christian lifestyle culture should look like, what our message should be, what's the order of that message. Really, really good for you guys to go back, check that out, uh, if that's an obstacle that you have, a problem you have. And then week four, last week we dealt with the toughest one for me, because I'm just a simple boy, but I dealt with the problem of science, kind of science, what is typically frame science versus religion, when we came out of the message, we realized it was science and religion. That God didn't, uh, to be a Christian doesn't mean we're anti-intellectual. He didn't, he didn't ask us to check our brains at the door. He could provide for us through circumstances, through history, through uh, creation, objective evidence to help us find and come to the conclusion that God is real. And, and God wants to be in relationship with us. And so that's what happened last week. Today, we're going to deal with uh, the problem of exclusivity. Everybody say exclusivity. It's kind of a big word. And we're going to deal with kind of a scandalous idea. Um, and the reason we're going to do that is because, and this whole series is really about dealing with this generic spirituality. In other words, we need to get a little bit more specific, a little bit more uh, intentional if we're going to grow. We're actually created in God's image according to his word, tripart beings. We have a spirit, a mind, and a body. Most of the time, we're only feeding the body, and I do a lot of that because I love food. Most of the time, we're only feeding our mind, you know, through our eye gates and things like that, but rarely are we nourishing another part of us. And so as a result, we're kind of out of whack. It's like it's like, you're, it's like, you know, you're kind of walking with a limp because you don't have all three of those areas tuned in. And so we need, in order to mature, grow, be healthy, we need to address um, our spirituality at another level to, to move forward. So we have to address a problem that people have, an obstacle, like kind of like getting a chiropractic treatment. One of the problems we have with Jesus isn't, interestingly enough, some of the claims that were made about him or even things that he said. People in America today don't have problems with the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. People in America today don't have the problem with the fact that he died on the cross. Most people believe that. Most people even believe he was resurrected. Amazing. But where people have a problem with Jesus is he said he was the only way to his father, only way to God. He's the gate. He's the root. He's the only person that we can connect to God. That, that only message is highly offensive to our culture today, even scandalous. And so I want to kind of lean into that scandal a little bit, unpack it, dig it out, and help us see things a little bit differently. Is everybody with me? Turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be good. All right, turn to your second choice, because everybody has one, and say, seriously, pay attention. Okay. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> everybody has a second choice. Anyway. The, the, here's kind of the modern framework so that you guys can track with me. We're living in a culture today that believes more and more that everything is right. You can have your point of view. I can have my point of view. Uh, you can have different ways that you connect with God. I can have different ways that I connect with God. We're all right, right? That's currently what's in our culture today. We're all right, right? That's what's out there. Now, my personal background 
influences my pursuit of truth. So let me say, let me say that. My, the reason I connect with this book so well and this particular author is because he was an atheist who pursued truth and ultimately found God. I don't think that's the norm. Uh, I, I came out of a home, my, my daddy and mom probably, probably are in the, in the house somewhere, but my dad was an atheist. He was what he would call a devout atheist. In fact, he would ridicule people of faith. He would, he would find fault and flaws and study different people uh, to, you know, that specialized in, in his belief system, which we've already identified atheism is a belief system. And, and he would say, that's a crutch. This is what people need to feel better about themselves. Just weak-willed people need X, Y, Z. Meanwhile, under the hood, he had issues. And I would submit to you that a lot of times we have arguments, but underneath our arguments, we got issues. We all got issues, don't we? All God's children got issues. If you don't think you got an issue, that's your issue. So in his pursuit of ridiculing, ultimately some of these problems start to surface and he kept going, he kept going, he kept going. He found that the physical representation of the solution to his problems was found in Jesus Christ and he came to that, that place. Well, what happened for me is, and which I think happens for a lot of people, is we start riding the coattails of those that went before us as if that's where our faith comes from. In other words, God has no grandchildren. He only has children. I can't live off the faith of my father. I have to have my own faith. We all, according to scripture, will stand before God, give an account of ourselves to God. I can't stand before God and say, well, my daddy was a preacher. You know, I went to church every Sunday. Well, that don't make you a Christian any more than sitting a, you sitting in a garage makes you a car. You have to have your own personal relationship and faith with God. You cannot live on the faith of other people. And so somewhere in my journey of faith, I had that DNA in me to try to figure it out for myself. And, and in my kind of late teens, I began to really pursue truth, both through objective evidence that made sense to this noggin, but also through subjective experience. God wants you and me to encounter him intellectually, but also experientially. He wants you to have objective evidence, but also subjective experience. And when those two things intersect in Mary, those are the believers that are rooted and mature that also influence the world. The world out there looks at Christians and says, why do I want what you have? It's not even working. And I think sometimes we're not influential because we either have one or the other. We have objective experience. I, I, I don't know. I just believe. I just, I just, Jesus and me, you know, it's good. I believe. What do you believe? I just believe. And then other people over here, they have evidence. You know what I mean? Well, Genesis 1-1 says this, and I believe in the gap theory on this. And da, da, da. They don't even know God, but they know about God. You need to know what you believe in and whom you have believed, and then you are persuasive. Does that make sense? And that's kind of the pursuit that, that I had. But I would just submit to you that many people today, that's not normal. <laughs> I feel like, Paul, this won't make sense to some of you, but I was like abnormally born. I, I, just, I, I, just, I went after that for myself. But I think everybody needs to. But currently in our culture today, we have a tendency to believe things that feel comfortable to us. Comfort's a killer. And, and, and we want inclusiveness. We want it to feel inclusive, your opinions, your philosophies, your religion, your faith, your practices. It better be inclusive. Otherwise, eh, here's the Heisman. And so we study different religions. One of them, atheism, says, atheism says all religions are false. But here's a bigger concern. 
Even worse, pluralism says all religions are true. And so kind of my pushback to that is this. There are things in this life that are not always feeling good, but they're still true. Just because something leaves a bad taste in your mouth doesn't mean it's not good for you. Just because it may repulse you, be difficult to swallow that pill, does that mean it's not true? I would, I would say to you that's what culture espouses now. That's what it's promoting and pushing and pushing down the pipeline. And I think we have an issue with that because we want to only subscribe to things, we editorially speaking, only want to subscribe, subscribe to things that feel okay. But many things that don't feel good are still right and true. When I was raising my kids, I have four kids, they're all grown now, two of them married, one having a baby, one just had a baby, um, and, uh, and the other two I still call my babies. And, but when they were little, you know, if, if I let them use their free will to do whatever they want, they would have eaten candy and ice cream three times a day and have diabetes by the time they're 10 years old. Okay, but I had to use my free will and understanding of my free will that it has boundaries, that it has certain uh, uh, banks and restrictions to it in order for rewards to be appreciated. You have to have these things inside that to make sure they're going to be healthy and really enjoy life. That meant sometimes pushing vegetables through their pierced lips, (laughs) through their teeth and down their esophagus into their stomach by any means necessary. Does spinach taste good? No, but is it good? Yes. Yes, it is. Organizationally, is it, is it fun to fire people? No, but sometimes, sometimes it may be the right thing to do. Can I have an amen out there? So, so our big word, our cultural ethos, it's kind of like the spirit of the era right now, is by immersion. I'm talking to people at the barbershop. I'm reading blogs. I'm listening to podcasts, I'm, watch, I'm listening to talk radio, I'm watching, you know, Netflix programs, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm driving by billboards. All of that is creating a culturally brainwashed ethos where we just kind of accept everybody, everybody's right, right? And that's what begins to happen. When I was parenting again, my kids, when they were younger, um... I can remember a person kind of asking me a tough question, and I, and I had the same answer today that I had back then, but not a tough question, but made a, an interesting statement. They were basically saying, listen, I noticed that when you're raising your kids, um, they all go to church. You send them to that Christian school. You know, it all sounds like you're, you know, teaching them something from some good book. And, and, and as I'm thinking, I'm like, yeah, you know what? We, we made certain kind of rules of engagement for life, the church was going to be a priority in our life. Now, we, we also made it a, a point to make church a place they wanted to go as well. Because I, I, I know what it's like to grow up in religion, and I didn't really want that. I knew, what it was grow, to, I knew what it was like to grow up to have to do something. But when I was raising my kids, I'm like, this is going to be a value in our home. And so Stacey and I made that a priority. They made it a priority. And the greatest legacy that I have in my life today is not what I say or espouse, but what shows in my life, all my kids love Jesus. All my kids serve and use their, know their gifts and serve and use their gifts. Uh, I have two sons that are in full-time ministry now. And, and I, last I checked, they love me. <laughs> and so, so, so this particular person said, don't you realize you're brainwashing your kids? And I'm thinking, and, and the same, same thing I'd say today that I, I, that I said then, you're darn skippy, I'm brainwashing my kids. And I'm going to brainwash my grandkids too. 
Because if I don't, Beyonce will. If I don't, Grey's Anatomy will. If I don't, Fifty Shades of Grey will. If I don't, culture will direct message. My children and my children's children, what identity is, what sexuality is, what wrong is, what right is, who God is, who he isn't. And I'm not having it on my watch. Amen. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You got to be intentional about these things. You got to dig into truth and you got to put truth into people, especially at the right times and seasons of your life. So we don't have perfect kids, but I'm just saying, all I'm saying is, that's what I'm saying. Sila. Okay. Everyone's right, right? Because exclusivity feels wrong is really what's going on. So here's a principle. Just because something might not feel right doesn't mean it's wrong is what I want you to chew on and, and, and kind of ruminate on. Because thought leaders of our world today have over many years, but in particularly prevalent now, been saying all kinds of things. Like Michael Jackson's spiritual advisor. I love Michael Jackson, so don't get upset about this, okay? I'm actually thinking of some of his songs right now. Um, but his spiritual advisor, Rabbi Shmuley Boutique, said this, I am absolutely against any religion that says one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that's anything different than spiritual racism. Gandhi said, My position is that all great religions are fundamentally equal. The great philosopher, theologian, and spiritual leader, Oprah Winfrey, said, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to God. This is common postmodern thinking right now. This is, this, is where, this is where we're at in our society today. Now, if you were to watch the great Ricky Bobby Ballad of Talladega Nights, <laughs> some of you just went, I don't know what he's talking about. Some of you know what I'm talking about right now. Ricky Bobby was a race car driver, and he had a bad accident, and he ca got caught on, he, apparently his car caught on fire. He caught on fire, freaked him out, but he was a great race car. So he gets back into the race, or so we thought, and he's on the track, and everybody's asking, how you doing, how you doing? Like, great, great, I'm kicking butt, but he's going 25 miles an hour, <laughs> and clearly he wasn't doing so well. And so in this particular scene, this Ricky Bobby ballad, he has... This freak out moment, he thinks he's on fire, but he's not on fire. He's, imag he's imagining he's on fire. And so he pulls over, gets out of the car, and uh, he starts ripping his clothes. I'm on fire, I'm on fire. And all his people are like, oh my gosh, he's losing his mind. He's got his helmet on, his underwear, and he's running around the track on fire. While he's doing it, he's screaming out, help me, Jewish God. Help me, Allah. Help me, Tom Cruise. Do your witchcraft on me. Help me, Oprah Winfrey. It was funny, but what is he doing? It's like he's saying, it's a crapshoot. This could be right. This could be right. This is right. That is right. I hope one of them's right. That's our world today. That's where we're at, everybody. But here's two fundamental issues with that. Is everybody tracking out there so far? This first issue is really not an issue. It shouldn't be an issue, but it is now. Cultural pluralism says you can believe whatever you want. Now, some Christians take issue with that. I have issue with them taking issue with that because we live in a free country that has provided for us freedom of press, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. And I actually think we should fight for people who don't believe, don't think, don't speak like us. If we're to retain the, the nature of our country, which is built on these principles of freedom, the problem isn't cultural pluralism. The problem is it's morphed into metaphysical pluralism. What does that mean? What you believe and what I believe, they're both true. 
So I was golfing one time. <clears throat> I'm not a golfer, so don't hit me up. I'm terrible. But I was golfing with a bunch of guys, and this one guy says, hey, I heard you are one of them preachers. And I said, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, I am. I'm like, oh, here we go. Why can't I just say I'm in sales? And uh, why can't he ask me what I did before he told me? And so he says, uh, so you believe in the Bible? I said, yes, I do. You read the Bible every day? Yes, you do. You teach the Bible? Yes, you do. Do you realize how offensive it is to say that Jesus is the only way? And he just starts going off on me. And I just go, time out, time out, time out, time out. Before we get into the back and forth of this, which I hope we can do over, you know, over the course of the game, um, just because something's offensive, just because something's scandalous to you, does it mean it's not true? I said, you said you're an accountant, right? He said, yes, sir. I said, it, so I said, all right, I'm not a big math guy, so I'm going to keep it real simple. Two plus two equals, he goes, four. I said, so... With your view, you don't like how it feels. You don't like how, how exclusive that particular statement is. Never mind whether it's true or not, and you haven't investigated that or not. You simply say you don't like that, and so you don't like me. So if your daughter came home from school and she said, two plus two, and, 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 and she says, doesn't equal four to me, Daddy. Two plus two equals five. This, this, this actually happened. I said, so she, she says, two plus two equals five. In fact... For you to say it's four offends me, Daddy. What would you say to her? He said, well, if that's what she wants to believe, I would support that. That's our world today, everybody. I don't know about you, but as far as I know, there's rules. I'm not big on math, but there's some rules in the math world out there. And that don't add up. There's certain realities. Is everybody with me? What, what feels good isn't always true, but what is logical is also essential. It's essential. And a lot of times we don't realize this. So the reality is what feels good isn't always true, but logical is essential. The law of non-contradiction says that two things that are opposite of each other cannot be true at the same time. It can't be. You can't say that. You can't say two plus two equals five. But our world's getting crazy. And so here's the concern. If we don't embrace certain realities or these realities about the law of non-contradiction and logic, then cultural definitions will continue to change, language will change, identification, definitions of different things have and will continue to change. And what happens is what's the ploy, what's the plot? It's going to keep you from deeper pursuit of what's really true because we don't like the exclusivity of how things feel. We never go after truth. You know what we really are? We're afraid. We're afraid to embrace the truth. So what I want to do now is I want to embrace this scandalous notion that Jesus said, and where it comes from, first of all, is the Bible, which I don't have time to unpack the authority, veracity, and why you can believe in it, why you can trust in it. We're going to do that in a week or two, so you could come back. But Jesus said this in John chapter 14. Jesus said it. He said, I am the way. He didn't say a way. There's several ways. One of the ways, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let me clarify, no one comes to the Father except by me. There's where it comes from. Pretty, pretty exclusive in, in how it sounds. Stay with me, though. Then his own disciples, referring to Jesus, said, There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby or which we can be saved. And so here's where we get this message. And as a result of that message, many people just say, I can't have anything to do with Christianity because of that. It's just scandalous. Ah, I can't deal with it. It's so exclusive. But what we don't realize is that you might be misinformed about other religions because they're exclusive too. 
For example, Islam teaches that there's one God, Allah, one prophet, Muhammad. If you're to go to heaven, which is a place of sensual pleasure, you have to believe in Allah, you have to subscribe to and follow the teachings of, of Muhammad, and there's no freedom to disbelieve. Hinduism, for example, everybody believes that there's kind of a rebirth from your previous life, and you are working towards some karmic perfection in order to get to nirvana, but you're always paying for your past. You're carrying those things with you into the future. Buddhism, which is kind of a spin-off of Hinduism, kind of a seductive spin-off, makes you believe you can be good without God. Push God out. Exclude God. Keep him from the equation. Atheism is even more exclusive than that. It says and rejects all beliefs and anybody who believes in God, unless it's a part of or beyond the material world, it can't be true. Agnosticism. Well, that, that, that's not exclusive. Well, the person who is agnostic believes that no one can know. That in itself is exclusive. Now, if I want to put my finger on an area that I think is very relevant probably in this environment, especially where we live here, especially my own church, my own church that I've pastored for 25 years, I've noticed that about 60 to 70% of our church come from a Catholic background. So hang on. I'm going to be risky here. Protestantism and Catholicism have a lot in common, a lot of common doctrines, a lot of common practices, certain traditions, but there are some differences. But the Catholic Church says things like it's the one true church. The Catholic Church will say salvation is found by works plus the sacraments. That's why you see them done early, and that's why you see them done even in their funerals. The Catholic Church also will have some exclusivity about communion, closed table, not an open table, uh, marriage, uh, infant baptism. You better baptize this kid, otherwise he's going to hell. That's pretty exclusive. All I'm trying to say to you is don't say Christianity is exclusive and other religions are not. That wouldn't be true, even though certain things we don't like don't feel good. Does that make sense? I actually think Christianity is the most inclusive of any religion in the world. I don't even like to call it a religion because religion is man's attempt to get to God, but Christianity is Jesus' attempt to get to us. Amen? See, see, all the other religions, it's about what you do in order to get to God. But in Christianity, it's receiving someone to, to, to be in relationship with God. You just have to receive someone. You don't have to do anything. It's all been done by him on the cross 2,000 years ago. By faith, we receive that and apprehend that. It's through grace. It's by faith we receive that. Can I have an amen out there? And then the Bible goes on all over the place, especially in the New Testament, to say whoever, 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 whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever is an all-inclusive word. So in my opinion, how much more inclusive can you get? Yeah, but pastor, what about the people who never heard about Jesus? Hang on, we'll get to that. What about the people who died before Jesus even came to earth? Hold up, we'll get to that, all right? But one of the ways that we filter those tough questions about a person is by seeing what was said about him, what was written about him. And so we study the attributes of God an attribute is basically a characteristic about a person or people. Usually it's a quality, a, care, a good quality about a person or people. You see, or tribe. You see the word tribe in here, a tribe. So it can be about a person or it can be about a people. So when we study the attributes of God, it gives you a lens to look through that will affect a lot of the outcomes, a lot of the answers that you're looking for. So what I'm saying is, your view of God is determining or affecting your relationship with God. What I'm saying is, if your 
horizontal relationships are jacked up, messed up, dysfunctional, and I submit mine have been, maybe yours, I don't know, I'm just saying, at some level we all have dysfunction in our lives relationally, that influences your relationship with God. And so we have to get some of those problems, put them over here, and look at God for who he really is, not for who we're looking at through this dirty windshield of our life and say, is that true or is this true? Accept the truth about God through what's been said about him in his word. And so what I want to do is I want to show you three attributes of God that show the inclusiveness of God, not the exclusivity of God, and deal with the scandal head on. Here's the first attribute of God. God is good. Everybody say, God is good. Now, the word says this all over the place, but sometimes you got to let it not just permeate your brain, but your spirit. When you're having trouble with something, life may be out of control, life may be unfair, but God is still good. So this is a value that I hold in my life. I've carried this through most of my Christian experience. Life is unfair. Life can sometimes be out of control, but God's not out of control. Life may be unfair, but God is still good. His word says this, you are good and you do good. Uh, in Psalm 119, in Psalm 86.5, the Bible says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, abundant in mercy to some, a few, maybe if you're good. No, all those who call upon, upon you. So God's a good God. I don't know if you remember the game. Have you ever played the game? I'm pretty sure you did. Hide and seek. Anybody? See, this is what I think. I'm going to use two game analogies to try to show you two sides, two faces of God. I think we hide, and he seeks. See, we, we're, we're, we're so quick to say he's exclusive when I actually think we're the ones hiding from him. He's the one seeking us out. In the Garden of Eden, the first story, the first relationship, Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. What did they do? They hid themselves. When they sinned against God, did, they, did Adam go, hey, God, where are you at? Eve, go looking for God? No, 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 no. The Bible says they were hiding and God was seeking them. See, right now, some of you might be hiding from God. Some of you may be listening online and you're hiding from God. God is seeking you. He's going through the whole earth looking for one. Looking for one that would just say yes to God. Open up their hands to God. Open up their heart to God. God reveals himself to anyone who wants to be found by God. That's the kind of nature, that's the kind of God that you have. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. I love that particular verse. In Psalm 98, 2, the Bible says, God has made known his salvation, his righteousness. He has revealed in the sight of the nations. He's, he's always seeking you while you're hiding. A really tough verse has a lot in it doctrinally is Romans chapter 1. The apostle Paul talks not just about the goodness of God, but about the wrath of God. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. In other words, humanity, we're, we, we were born with a sinful nature, but we also have sinned after we were born. What happens with all that injustice, all that sin, all that wickedness? It wasn't meant to be on us. God wanted to put that on his son, a perfect sacrifice sinless, spotless lamb of God, so you didn't have to pay for that, but that had to be paid for. If we don't allow Jesus to pay for our sins, then we have to pay for them. They have to be paid for. Who suppressed the truth? So in our wickedness, sometimes it causes us to not see the truth, the reality. 
Suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest, shown, revealed in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, these invisible attributes, these qualities and characteristics of God are clearly seen. So God's basically saying, hey, I've been showing you. You've just been suppressing the truth. You've been living a certain lifestyle. You've been mad blaming me instead of running to me. If you would stop blaming me and play the victim, if you start looking to me for your victory, you'd realize I've been showing you the whole time the truth. Being understood by the things that are made, creation, even his eternal power, Godhead, Trinity, so that everybody is without excuse. Is everybody tracking with me out there? So God reveals himself to any person who really wants to know him. That's inclusive. God is good. God is good. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, this guy, was calling out to God. He's praying to God. He, if you're there, help me. God heard his prayer, spoke to the disciple Peter, and sent Peter to reveal Jesus to Cornelius. See, anybody that wants to come to God has to go through Jesus, but anybody that will cry out to God, God will send somebody to show him Jesus. Even show Jesus himself. We're living in a world today where people don't have the privilege you have right now of worshiping freely like this and coming in here on Easter Sunday. We have relationships, I could tell you so many stories, but we have relationships with people in Islamic countries that are 90%, 99% non-Christian, Muslim. One of our friends, Pastor John and Rachel, we've actually flown them from Pakistan all the way over here. By the way, how many know who I'm talking about, Pastor John? You, you, you were here. So Pastor John, uh, uh, just so you know, two weeks ago he had a crusade that he tried me to get, get me to go to. I'm a little scared about that, to be honest. And uh, they had 75,000 people give their life to Christ. 75,000, I said. Is that crazy? Come on, give Jesus a big hand for that. That's amazing. That's crazy. But I just want to tell you a story that he told, me, he told me when he was here. He said there was a girl that got, gave her life to Christ in one of our crusades, and we gave her a Bible that Connect purchased for her. So I just want you to see your seed. And she held on to that Bible like it was the greatest thing ever given to her, the most prized possession she had. Not something on a shelf that we, never, we read once in a while, we pull out on the holidays. You know, um, no, she would get up every night in the middle of the night at the threat of her own life at 3 in the morning with a flashlight under her sheets, and she would read the Bible. She just knew Jesus. She just had a revelation, but she didn't know anything. She was just reading the word of God just ravenously. And one night her father came in at three in the morning. He was kind of like a leader in the Islamic church, like a mosque leader. He was way up there. And he pulled back the sheets and he found her reading the Bible and he beat her, beat her to a pulp. Didn't stop her though. She hung, she hang on, she hung on to that Bible. She wouldn't give it to him. She began to get up in the night again and began to read it. And he came time and time again. And he would come and he'd, he'd punish her and he would beat her. One time he came and she was reading the Bible, and he beat her so bad that she broke her, he broke her leg. And, and in order to make sure that she couldn't continue to turn the pages on the Bible, he pulled off all the fingernails off her fingers and just left her there bleeding. And while she was there crying, she cried out to God. And she said, God, the way you've revealed yourself to me, I pray that you would show my father that you are real. Jesus, come and visit my father. And I don't know how many days went by because I don't remember the exact facts, but one night she's reading her Bible again in pain and her father came in and whipped the sheets back and in terror she thought she would be beaten, maybe even to her death in this particular occasion. She looked at her father and his eyes were pouring with tears because he said, daughter, Jesus has come to me in my dreams and revealed himself to me and I've given my life to Jesus Christ and our whole family is gonna come to know him. She cried out to God, and God heard her cry, and, and her father found Jesus. Can I have an amen out there from everybody? It's amazing. 
Anybody that calls upon the name of the Lord, anybody that cries out, anybody that seeks him, Rabbi Zacharias, some of you know him, he's the great Christian apologist. He told a story about a, um, uh, a young man from an Islamic country, 99% Muslim, and he was sharing his testimony with Rabbi, and he basically said, for seven years, Jesus would reveal himself to me in my dreams. And, and I kept rejecting him, rejecting him, turn from your wicked ways and follow me. And he just kept rejecting the message of Jesus. And one time he got bold and he told his mother, who was a Muslim, Jesus keeps coming to me in my dreams, what do I do? And she said, you need to flee the country because your brothers will kill you if they find out. He said, I'm not renouncing my faith, I'm just saying, what do I do? She said, you must leave, they're going to find out. One of them was a general in the army. And so he fled the country and he ran into a Chinese businessman on the way uh, to, uh, to America. And this Chinese businessman shared Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. And he gave his life to Christ because it all matched up with what Jesus had been revealing to him in his dreams. Many years later, skipping ahead, he was in seminary training to be a missionary to go back to his country to share the gospel. And he, and he met Rabbi Zacharias, this famous Christian apologist. And Rabbi, for some reason, was basically like, why were you, why, why, what happened? Tell me your story. He goes, well, when I was in the army, they trained us to do two things. One, kill people without feeling. And two, I, they taught me how to make fake passports. And so Rabbi was just hearing his story, and he said, so how are you going to get back into the country? He said, don't forget, God taught me how to make fake passports back then. <laughs> See, he can redeem your past and use it for the future. Isn't that cool? He can take your story and he can use it for God's glory. Amen. Here's the second attribute. God is just. Everybody say God is just. In Psalm 7, 11, it says God is a just God. So I told you about hide and seek, but there's also another game I think we play called seek and find. And again, I'm only using these games as illustrations, but if you're hiding, God is seeking you. But if you seek him, you will find him. The Bible tells us in uh, a famous text, Jeremiah chapter 29, you know this particular text, some of you, you can see the goodness of God in this particular verse, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. We don't usually look at the next two verses though. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with what? All your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. See, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Ask and receive. These are all the words of God. If you seek him, he's going to be found by you. He's not going to hide himself from you. He's not trying to dodge you, run from you. In Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul is preaching, and he talks. This is so cool. He says, and he, Jesus, has made from one blood every nation. He's basically saying from the garden, forward, that's where all the nations of the earth came from. It's an interesting concept and, and dialogue. And he says, to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times. What does that mean? It means God has determined in advance when you and I would live. And he's determined the boundaries or dwellings where you would live. So, so as Christians, we believe God in his foreknowledge knew when and where you would be alive. Everybody tracking? Tons of scripture on this, Psalm 139, Ephesians 2.10, supports these kind of notions. And it says, why? So that, I did this, God did this, so that you would seek the Lord. In the hope that they, us, might grope, long for, grope him and find him. Interestingly enough, when you find him, if you're looking for him, if you're really searching for him, by the way, he's not far from any one of you. God's not like, seek me, seek me, seek me. It's going to be so hard. It's going to be so long. It's going to be so difficult. No, he's waiting for you 
to just seek him, to go after him. If you seek me, you will find me. He will reveal himself to everyone. He will seek, if you seek him, you will always find him. And he's not so much interested in the volume of knowledge that you can acquire. What God is interested in is in the intensity of your search. I venture to say there's many people in this room that are having issues and problems and disconnected from God and maybe people too. Are you searching for him? Are you really going after him? The test of pursuit is desire. It's desire. You sh- it shows. If you're hungry, you go for food. If you're thirsty, you find something to drink. If you need air, you'll do anything to get it. But when we want God, oh, we'll just wait for him to come to me. We'll just wait for him to come to me. See, God is good and God is just. But the third thing you need to know is God is love. Everybody say, God is love. Most famous verse in all the Bible, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only. Look at that word, only. Want to talk about exclusivity? God took, he exclusively put all the problems, all the responsibility on his one and only son. His only son. So he exclusively gives his son so everybody could be included. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life with him. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, there's two types of people in the world. The person who bows his knee to God and says, your will be done. And the person who does not bow his knee to God and God says, okay, your will be done. Remember, the most powerful muscle you have in your body is free will. It's not your quadriceps, your deltoids, your latissimus dorsi, or your hamstrings. For some of you people don't know what I'm talking about, come see me after church, I'll explain that to you. The most powerful muscle you have is free will to choose. I think this is as fair as it can get because if God took away your freedom to give you the dignity of freedom and then violate your free will, that's not just. But he's so just, he's so good, he's so loving that he gives you that free will for you to choose, for you to choose. Now I'll close with this illustration. <clears throat> I, I've said earlier, math's not my specialty, but, but I do like English, I do love the English language. And... I was sharing this with one of, my, one of my daughters. She's an English student. And initially, she kind of yawned. <laughs> and I said, hang on, baby. And after a while, she's like, oh, that was awesome, Dad. So when we communicate, we communicate three ways. We, we use words three ways. We use them univocally, equivocally, and analogically. Univocally, equivocally, analogically. Univocally. I love connect. Stacy loves connect. I'm using the same word, same meaning in both instances. Everybody tracking? Now, if I said equivocally, I love you, but I love Stacy. Let me, now, don't get your feelings hurt. I love you, but I love Stacy. That's equivocally. Does everybody tracking with me? In other words, I don't love you. I love Stacy. I mean, I love you, but I love Stacy. Some of you are thinking, I'm really glad you don't love me like Stacy. Okay, two different meanings. You can take another word like good, the goodness, a, 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 good, a good word, a, the word good. And, and, and if somebody came up to me and said, Pastor Derek, I heard you were a pretty good basketball player back in the, and I'd say back in the day, yeah. You know, I, I, got, I, I used to have hops, but now I got my feet planted on a firm foundation, okay? And I used to have skills and used to be able to, and handles and be able to dribble the basketball and cross people up. I was pretty good. But if you were to get on an airplane and you encountered a professional basketball player, let's just say LeBron James, you didn't know who he was. You see this six foot nine behemoth sitting next to you and you turn to him and you say, hey, uh, you look like some kind of an athlete. Do you play sports? Yeah, uh, I play basketball. Are you pretty good? LeBron says, yeah, I'm pretty good. 
It would be wrong for you to say, oh, you're pretty good? You should play with Pastor Derek. He's pretty good. <laughs> Equivocally. Same word, two different meanings, okay? But analogically is the key word because there's no way words can describe adequately how good God is, how just he is and fair and inclusive he is and how much he loves you univocally or equivocally. The best way, the best thing we have is to do it analogically. So let me say it like this. God's, God's love for us, if I was to say I love you and you refuse his love, if, you, if I said, I love you, and then you refuse my love, it hurts because I lost something. But if, I, but if God says to you and to me, I love you, and we reject his love, it hurts him because we've lost something. Because his love is totally, utterly selfless. He wants you to have that. So if you reject his love, he's hurting because you could lose it all. You could lose everything that really, really matters. I want to pray for you about that. Would you stand to your feet and let me pray for you on this Easter Sunday? Kind of a closing thought is to not get hung up on Jesus being the only way, but really focus on the fact that Jesus is or made a way for all of us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you could just be very, very still. Maybe some leaders have to get up. I understand that to go to your different positions and responsibilities, but... If you wouldn't mind closing your eyes as we pray, everybody, so people can have like kind of a quiet moment between them and God. I really, even with all these people here, I just want you to have you and God. And you're closing your eyes to look at your own heart. That's why we do that. You can pray with your eyes open, but you close your eyes to look at your own heart to focus. This is what I would say to you, sir, ma'am, boy, or girl. What is God saying to you through this message? Are you hiding from God? I want you to know something. With all that he has, God is seeking you and trying to connect with you and trying to be in relationship with you. Don't play hide and seek any longer. I encourage you to play seek and find. I pray that you would make a decision today to go after God, to go after truth. If he's really the truth, go after him. Seek him. Cry out to him. Be real and truthful with him. Get away somewhere quiet, wherever you need to do it, however you need to do it. Seek, and the Bible says, he will be found. Realize that he's not exclusive. He's inclusive. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And that name is Jesus. He is God personified. He is the solution to your problems. And if you're here today and you want to make that connection with Jesus Christ, I want to give you that opportunity before God, before man, before me, would you just say yes to God by boldly, look me in the eye, raise your hand, and raise your hand and say, that's me, pray for me, pastor. I want to make sure that I know. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, sir. God bless you. Yes, 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 yes. Is there anybody else in the back there? Thank you very much for your courage. Thank you, ma'am, in the middle there for your courage. That's awesome. You can put your hand down. All the way in the back, I see that. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you for your courage. Church, would you pray Together and those that raise your hand, would you say this prayer with me? Say it from your heart. This prayer won't save you. Believe it in your heart will. Say, Jesus, I receive what you did for me 2,000 years ago. And today, Easter Sunday, is my spiritual birthday. I thank you that when I was hiding, you were seeking me. And today, with all my heart, 
I seek truth. And I thank you that you may be found. Save me. Make me a new creation in Christ Jesus from this day forward. Let me pray for you, Father, for every person that prayed that prayer. I thank you that decisions lead to disciples, that there's moments that are significant and real. And the Bible says their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life because they made a decision of their free will to receive the grace that comes from Jesus. They can't do anything to deserve it. They received it by grace through faith. I pray that come alive in each and every person and may they give away what God has given them. Tell somebody so it sticks and move forward in their faith and pursue truth and continue to seek God with all their heart in Jesus' name. And everybody in this room said amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap for those decisions. That is awesome. God bless you guys. Happy Easter. Come on, Pastor Mark.